Hear the trumpets thundering and clear. Lead the cheers far and near. For this is the day we declare. Christ is King everywhere. The Alpha has reached the Omega. The beginning has come to the end. We have reached the grand finale of the story of faith. We are at the destination of our lives. For on this day we celebrate the culmination of a year spent centering our lives upon Christ, walking through the December darkness as God's incarnate love explodes into our historical reality and onto the geography of our dirt with the silent light of stars and the angels singing alleluias to misfits and wisdom seekers, listening to the sounds of deep water slapping its surface with a spray reaching into heaven and the voice, this is my son boasting and anointing one into the wilderness of marginalized lives praying for a hope that comes in God incarnate with us, then hiking the long walk to the city and watching the even longer staggering stroll up the hill weighed down by our convictions as he is nailed to the cross of our sins, then being amazed and fearing the moment of emptiness in lives captured by death only to be set free by the mystery and peace of an empty tomb, then moving out to the streets with all who are being gathered by the breathing life Holy Spirit molding and forming us into Christ's body free to live for God and for all creation until Christ comes again to reign over all and through all and in all. Yes, on this day we declare Christ is King everywhere. But, what do we mean with our declaration? Are we like Sarah Vonninger a senior at St. Louis University, who writes, I struggle to see Jesus as a king in this world because so much of my experience with Christ has been through the interactions with His people in a personal and intimate way. Or, do we agree with Roman Catholic theologian Gerald Daring, who claims, the kingdom of God is a space. It exists in every home where parents and children love each other. The kingdom of God is time. It happens whenever someone deeds a hungry person, or shows care to a neglected person. The kingdom of God is in the past in the life and work of Jesus of Nazareth, it is in the present in the work of the Church and in the efforts of many people to create a world of goodness and justice, it is the future reaching its completion in the age to come. The kingdom of God is a conditions whose symptoms are love, justice, and peace. Or do words like king, kingdom, kingship, and reign hearken our minds to the faraway lands and times of fairy stories and mythical tales of childhood having nothing to do with us, our reality, our democracies and social structures. Or is it that these words embarrass us by reminding us of the horrendous times when the Church grasped its freedom to be by becoming entwined in the Emperor's political power that was enslaving peoples, using violence in the cause of anti-Semitism, executing heretics and women accused of being witches while the portrait of Christ the King is as a monarch dressed in golden robes brandishing a great sword seducing us into believing that because we have power, we also have wisdom. Stephen Vincent Benet. Just what do we mean when we say Christ is King or talk about the just and wise reign of Christ? Make no mistake, the answer to this question is important because we are basing our lives and betting our lives on the answer. Surely, had Pilate realized who was sitting on the throne or who really rules over the world with ultimate power, he might have acted differently the day he tried Jesus. Sadly, such realizations did not occur to Pilate. So, this politically savvy representative of the Roman emperor gazes at this poor, whipped, beaten, half-dead Jewish carpenter standing before him and asks, Are you king of the Jews? The question is not pro forma because how Jesus answers this question will determine whether Jesus is threat and danger to Roman rule or not. If he is a threat Pilate will have no qualms about executing him because that's the way Rome uses its power. However, if Jesus is not a threat or danger Pilate will have to make a decision based upon other criteria. Of course, Jesus doesn't answer the question, but asks Pilate a question, why are you asking? Is it because you are curious or did you just listen to gossip? Jesus and Pilate are facing off like two hockey players waiting for the puck to drop. Pilate answers with a sneer, Am I a Jew? Meaning the royal pretensions of any Jew means nothing to him, since any kingdom this Jesus might rule can only be small, marginalized, insignificant. 
after all the largest buildings in the city are those built by Rome. The most powerful army controlling the whole Mediterranean basin is Rome's. Anyway, who can take seriously a king whose followers are no more than the wretched and poor, who will not storm the gates to try and set him free? Pilate's problem, of course, is that he is caught between his conscience and his fear. Fear will one out because Pilate has much to fear. He fears the reaction of the crowds larger than they would because the Passover festival has attracted Jewish pilgrims from all over the Mediterranean basin to Jerusalem. He fears the Roman emperor should he fail to keep order and put down rebellion. He fears his own discomfort with executing an innocent man. Pilate is living, as Henri Noen asserts, in the house of fear and the most common human response to fear is flight or fight. Either we run away and hide or we stand using whatever power we have to protect ourselves, securing our safety and our well-being. Unfortunately, Pilate is in the habit of wielding power that uses soldiers and weapons, and coercion because that's what dictatorships, totalitarian regimes and sometimes even democracies use when they are afraid of enemies. Pilate is as theologian Charles Cusar, text for preaching year B, a power broker who lives in the world of illusion of power and is mocked by his ultimate lack of power when facing Jesus, who refuses to be afraid, even in the face of death. What Pilate needs according to Kusar is some serious disillusionment to be stripped of his illusions about his own importance and power in the world and in his own life. I wonder if this doesn't happen during Jesus' trial as Pilate senses the real power of Jesus to hold up to Pilate the truth about all he fears. I wonder if Pilate doesn't experience Kusar's disillusionment, even if only a little bit. But, then how many of us might benefit from some disillusionment? Are we walking around and acting out of some deep illusions about who Jesus really is and would we admit it if we were? Would we tell truth of our lives? Scott Black reminds us that Jesus is the sovereign not of a certain parcel of land or a particular race of people or a particular political party or agenda, but of truth. And, it is a truth to which people belong. Lectionary commentary, a truth, Walter Bruggeman says is, evidenced in Jesus not as an idea, a concept, not a formulation, not a fact. It is rather a way of being in the world, in suffering and hope, so radical and so raw that we can scarcely entertain it. The word militant. If we are honest could people say that about us and the way we live our lives? Are we willing to face the truth about Jesus and the truth about ourselves? Or are we among the fearful people Pete Peary describes as being trapped in spite of or because of their material possessions? Unable to be free enough to be real about who they are, what they really believe, how they really perceive the world. Having to hide themselves, doing and saying things they do not want to say. Ironically, Jesus invites Pilate to be transparent, to take off the mask he is wearing and face the truth of his life like the woman at the well who could hear and recognize Jesus' voice telling her the truth of her life because nothing else was drowning it out. For if we belong to God and are living in the world giving our love and devotion to God rather than to any other person, thing, or power then we are people who hear the truth and respond to it. Eugene Peterson translates Jesus' words about this so wonderfully, everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for the truth, recognizes my voice. Implicit in Jesus' words is our need to respond once we recognize Jesus' voice. We might respond by teaching an adult to read, balance a checkbook, or plan and cook nutritious meals for their family. Or, our response might be more dramatic like that of the 100 German pastors, who stood in their pulpit declaring, Jesus is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and death. As Jesus Christ is God's assurance of the forgiveness of all our sins, so in the same way and with the same seriousness He is also God's mighty claim upon our whole life. We reject the false doctrine, as though there were areas of our life in which we would not belong to Jesus Christ. 
They further declared it is God's kingdom, commands and righteousness they affirm in Christ's Lordship, and that the Church does not serve an oppressive government or serve any arbitrarily chosen desires, purposes and plans. Rather, the Church serves God in Christ, who gave the commission to deliver the message of the free grace of God to all people. I should note these 100 German pastors made this declaration on the same Sunday in the spring of 1934 at the height of Hitler's and Nazis' domination of Germany. All 100 were arrested and sent to concentration camps where most of them died. How we respond to Christ is important. Brugman states it clearly, the Gospel narrative makes a claim that in Jesus of Nazareth the things of this world will be settled on God's terms. Injustice, poverty, the suffering experienced by so many of God's children whether in faces of starving children in the hollers of Kentucky, people with cancer, who do not have health insurance, homeless veterans and veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disease, moral injury, traumatic brain injury, and the veterans struggling to recover from the loss of arms, hands, legs, and feet, refugees who've lost their homelands, and women and children afraid in their own homes are all things of this world to be settled on God's terms. In confronting these things of the world we are invited and called to participate in what God is doing mindful that our belonging to Christ's wise and just reign is part of what God is doing and mindful that we are simply God's helpers and that the transformation of this world will come from God's healing, restoring free grace. As we celebrate the wise reign of Christ, we realize it is not only the goal toward which our Sunday meditations have been taking us, writes Diane Bergen, we realize Christ's enthronement is the omega point toward which all history has been and is moving. I pray that we might find the words to express the truth of our lives and the truth of who Jesus Christ is in our lives, so we might have the courage to declare boldly and loudly, Christ is King everywhere.